Friends, the Lord be with you as always. It's a gift to be together to open up God's Word. And I love this time of year in terms of campus life. We're making our way to Thanksgiving break where students are approaching crunch time. Fall sports are wrapping up. Winter sports starting. And I think we can all agree it's been an absolutely golden fall here in West Michigan. And hopefully you've taken a hike or a bike ride out near the lakeshore. Just amazing. And by my own rubric uh, is that if you can get on the links in November, it is absolutely the year of the Lord's favor. And over the course of the fall, we've been exploring the narrative country of the Old Testament. And on the way, we've met or become reacquainted with some of the Bible's Great characters, fathers of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God's chief spokesman, Moses and Aaron. Samuel, God's appointed prophet, David, God's anointed king. And Elijah, who rained fire and brimstone on the prophets of Baal in the name of the one true God. And then last week, we met the prophet Amos. And this week, we come to the prophet Isaiah also in the lineage of Israel's great spokesman. But before we get into our passage today, I'd love to put before us some lines from the great preacher Fleming Rutledge. And she says that there are many who say that the traditional sermon from the pulpit is dead. Perhaps so. But the power of an amazing story will never die away. And if the word of God is what the Bible proclaims it to be, it is nothing less than the greatest story ever told. So hear the word of the Lord from the prophet Isaiah from the greatest story ever told. And I'll start reading at verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone, for you have multiplied the nation and increased its joy, and they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, he has broken as on the day of Midian." For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth 
and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And again, that's Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Some of you know that I am a very proud Hope College alum where I studied political science and philosophy. And after graduating from Hope in 2012, I spent the next five years in a state of what I call academic wandering. For two years, I worked at an academic institute on the East Coast seeking to boost my resume for grad school programs. And then the next three years after were uh, in seminary. And the time I lived on the East Coast was full of gifts and challenges and great memories and amazing friendships. And it has shaped my character in crucial ways. And that having been said, as one who has great affection for my home community and place, I'd often joke with my friends that I'd been exiled from God's country. And by that, I meant uh, my native land of Michigan. And so living away from home did offer me great perspective and even compassion for those who live and work far away from family and loved ones. And this is the case for many of the Hope students I walk alongside, and maybe you can relate on some level to this as well. So in the story world of Isaiah, we pick up at chapter 9 with exile on the horizon. And this is a defining moment for Israel's identity. The promised land was a token of God's hesed, the great Hebrew word denoting God's steadfast love and covenant loyalty. The land had been the gift of God, and so every square mile was held in communal memory. It was the medium through which God gave himself to his people. It was theirs because he was theirs. And so to put it bluntly, the exile called the covenant into serious question. It is Isaiah who is the mouthpiece of God's dreadful decrees. Make the heart of this people dull, Isaiah writes in chapter 6, and their ears heavy and blind their eyes. The cities lie waste and houses without people. The land is a desolate waste. And that is right after God issues Isaiah with his prophetic charge. Isaiah, the greatest preacher to be represented in our scriptures, says Eugene Peterson, and he is also our most conspicuous failure. For 40 years, he preached powerful, eloquent, bold sermons, and nobody listened. He preached repentance and the salvation of Jerusalem and Judah. The people did not repent and were taken into exile. And so at this point, Israel had been split into two kingdoms due to a series of wicked kings. Over and over, the biblical historians record the haunting phrase, they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so this is the context of Isaiah's prophetic vocation and vision. The people have no dawn. They will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. 
And those are the verses that lead into today's passage, what we heard just a bit ago. And so for the next few minutes, I have just two aims. Uh, First, and since we're already there, to press into the nature of the darkness just a little bit more, and which I've already hinted at. And from there, to turn to the invasion of the light. So first, on the heels of of what we just heard, Isaiah first speaks judgment for God's people. He brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. These two tribes were among those hardest hit when the Assyrians invaded to punish the northern kingdom of Israel. And the events that Isaiah predicts are dire. God's people will be dispersed and displaced. They will dwell in a land of deep darkness. Also translated, they will dwell in the land of the shadow of death. When I was growing up, my family would often watch the long-running CBS program 60 Minutes on Sunday nights. And over time, we began to recognize a pattern. For the first two of three segments, there are, with few exceptions, stories that shade toward the doom and gloom. Stories of war zones and refugees and political corruption and environmental devastation. And then for the third segment, there was usually some ray of light to end the program on a more hopeful note. But even still, with two-thirds of the thing shading toward the doom and gloom, it's commonplace to walk away from an episode of 60 Minutes reflecting in some fashion on the nature of the darkness, depravity, sin, and evil that afflicts not just individual souls, but the systems that humans create, the whole creation, says the Apostle Paul, groans together in the pains of childbirth. And so we can therefore recognize the nature of the darkness in Isaiah's vision as our shared reality, the land of the shadow of death. And hearing God's word and scripture helps us to see reality clearly. And so it doesn't take a whole lot to acknowledge the deep darkness in our own life and times. Even from this past week, I've been reflecting on a host of things. The many refugee families arriving from war zones in the Middle East. Terrorist activity in Uganda, where our friend Ivan Akasima is from. The college student who hasn't seen her family uh, since before the pandemic, the teenager lost in the thick fog of an existence filtered by social media, a mainstream intellectual culture that fosters men without chess, to borrow C.S. Lewis's phrase. And I'm sure you can name plenty of other instances of your own version of darkness. As Isaiah's words might end up hitting closer to home than expected for a Sunday morning. They will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, thrust into thick darkness. From the land of the shadow of death, we long for God's good judgment, for his justice to roll down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. 
And here's the amazing thing. The act of God's judgment means that God's grace is already in operation because that's who God is and has revealed himself to be. Christian faith has long confessed that grace and judgment coexist. They are two sides of the same coin. So maybe an image from C.S. Lewis will help us to get our minds around this. You ask for a loving God. You have one. Not a senile benevolence that drowsily wishes you to be happy in your own way. Not the cold philanthropy of a conscientious magistrate, nor the care of a host who feels responsible for the comfort of his guests. But the consuming fire himself, the love that made the world's persistent as the artist's love for his work and despotic as a man's love for a dog, provident and venerable as a father's love for a child, jealous, inexorable, exacting as love between the sexes. How this should be, I do not know. It passes reason to explain why any creatures should have a value so prodigious in their creator's eyes. It is certainly a burden of glory, not only beyond our deserving, but also, except in rare moments of grace, beyond our desiring. And this is where the prophet Isaiah shows us a striking reversal. It has been said that Christian theology hinges on prepositions, and here is a great one. But, says the prophet Isaiah, but there will be no gloom, For her who was in anguish, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Out of the land of the shadow of death is an invasion of the light. Again from Fleming Rutledge, when the tide of human possibility has run out, divine intervention takes place on the stroke of midnight when the executioner is due at the prison door there is a blaze of light at the farthest extremity of human hope the lord god almighty slips into the world in disguise for to us a child is born to us a son is given isaiah's vision of judgment transfigured to good tidings of great joy which will be for all people and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace so much to say of these titles jam-packed with messianic freight. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Divine Lagos, the Word and Wisdom of God, who was in the beginning with God, and in him was light, and the light was the life to all people. The mighty God who goes with you to fight for you. This I know, says the psalmist, that the Lord is for me. The everlasting Father who in the fullness of time sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And Prince of Peace, the one who reconciled 
all things, whether in earth or in heaven, and made peace by the blood of his cross. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. Isaiah makes plain the path of God's judgment leads to God's sweeping reign of shalom, universal flourishing wholeness and delight in a word, new creation. As St. Augustine wrote in City of God, perfect peace will reign since nothing in ourselves or in any others could disturb this peace. God will be the source of every satisfaction, more than any heart can rightly crave, more than life and health, food and wealth, glory and honor, peace and every good, so that God may be all in all. Isaiah's vision, therefore, a glimpse, a foretaste of the coming kingdom inaugurated in the Christ event, first by his advent and then fulfilled in his life and death, resurrection, and reign. Every square inch, therefore, belongs to this mighty God. Every sector of public life in the light of this Prince of Peace. And so where does that leave us? Isaiah, this sweeping vision of God's reign that is to come. Well, first of all, the charge is given to the church as a sign, instrument, and foretaste of this kingdom. Longing for the day when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. So in a sense, then, our situation is not like Isaiah's own. We are pilgrims in this world, and there is no utopia to be had east of Eden. No final happiness here on earth until the day when Christ comes again and makes, uh, makes his kingdom fully realized. Flannery O'Connor, a prophetic voice in her own right, wrote, All human nature vigorously resists grace because grace changes us and the change is painful. And so we, like Isaiah, point to the light for a world that still wanders in darkness. And so as a concluding thought in his book, To Change the World, James Davison Hunter argues for a theology of faithful presence, for our spheres of influence to be a foretaste of the coming kingdom, to manage a business in a way that grows out of a biblical view of relationships, community, and human dignity. Policy pursued and law practice in light of the justice of God, a witness to the right ordering of human affairs. Inquiry, inquiry, scholarship, and learning with an awareness of the goodness of God's created order. And not least, reflecting the beauty of God's creation in art or music, nothing less than an act of worship. In short, Hunter concludes, fidelity to the highest practices of vocation before God is consecrated and in itself transformational. Faithful presence as a foretaste, not a utopian scheme nor a grand social program or a particular political ideology. It's 
basically what George Herbert called heaven in ordinary, a modest proposal, a humble posture in the same pattern of the Lord God Almighty who slips into the world in disguise. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Faithful presence, a recognition that uh, as uh, as uh, John the Baptist was, we ourselves are not the light, but we come to bear witness to the light. For those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And here at the table, we recognize that it's not by our own merits, not by our own deserving, but the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And we are met by the one who is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, the body of Christ given and the blood of Christ shed. If you believe in Jesus Christ and acknowledge him as Savior, you are welcome to partake. And if you're not at that place in life or in faith, uh, you're welcome to consider the things that you've heard this morning. We are so grateful that you've joined us. The body of Christ given for you and the blood of Christ shed for you.